Welcome to the Truth Hurts program. I'm your host, Steve Z. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize in advance if you are offended, but we retract nothing. Please enjoy the program. Good afternoon, everybody. This is the afternoon edition of the Truth Hurts program for Friday, January the 29th, 2021. And I'm your host, Steve Z. Continuing evidence is mounting now to support acquittal of Donald Trump of any charges associated with his so-called inciting of the insurrection at the Capitol building on January 6th. According to the FBI, Washington Associated Press has reported, two pipe bombs left at the offices of the Republican and the Democrat National Committees were discovered before thousands of pro-Trump rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol were actually placed on January 5th, the night before Donald Trump gave the speech that supposedly incited the riots. Now, let me break that down in plain, simple English so that you can tell everybody you know the impeachment charge against Donald Trump for inciting the insurrection on January 6th could not have possibly been the catalyst for the riots at the Capitol on January 6th because the pipe bombs were planted many hours before Donald Trump gave his speech. Additionally, people were already headed for the Capitol and were already outside the Capitol, not in earshot of Donald Trump's speech on January 6th. Those people acted independently, could not have possibly heard the President Donald Trump's speech, and therefore leaves Donald Trump in the clear of any possibility of having any involvement in or being guilty of inciting the violence at the Capitol building on January 6th. Now, it's not clear whether that means the pipe bombs were unrelated to the next day's riot or they were part of pre-advanced riot planning. Both of those buildings are within a few blocks of the Capitol. Now, this has been particularly concerning for law enforcement as officials step up security preparations ahead of the Senate's impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. For weeks, you see, investigators have been worried about the potential for attacks on soft targets in the U.S. Capitol. U.S. Capitol Police and agents from the FBI, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives were called to the Republican National Committee's office at around 12.45 p.m. on January 6th. About 30 minutes later, the agents and bomb technicians were still investigating what was going on at the RNC they received another call for a second similar explosive device found at the Democrat National Committee headquarters nearby. This proves beyond any reasonable doubt that it was Antifa, you know, the group that is against any form of government. They want to tear down all government. This was not the work of the more than 100,000 very peaceful flag-waving demonstrators who listened to Donald Trump's speech 
Two explosive devices that they found were very similar, and both were about a foot long with end caps and wiring that appeared to be attached to some sort of timer, according to two law enforcement officials familiar with the matter. Investigators are still examining the devices and their components to determine the specific compounds inside of the pipe bombs, but they both appeared to contain an unknown powder and some metal, according to officials. And, of course, those officials could not discuss their ongoing investigation publicly, and they spoke to the Associated Press on condition of anonymity. The FBI did release photos of the explosive devices on Friday today, including a photograph that showed one of those placed underneath a bush. Not a George Bush, but an actual bush. Officials have also increased the reward to $100,000 in the hopes that some unemployed Antifa thug might rat out one of their own. The assistant director in charge of the FBI's Washington, D.C. office said earlier this week that locating the person who planted the pipe bombs was a top priority for federal agents, though officials have only released grainy surveillance camera images of a potential suspect. On Friday, the FBI said the person wore a gray hooded sweatshirt, a hoodie, a face mask. Well, aren't we all supposed to be wearing face masks in public? and Nike Air Max Speed Turf sneakers in yellow, black, and gray, and had been carrying a backpack. Of course, they haven't mentioned his race as being Caucasian yet, so we can presume automatically that he probably was not Caucasian. After all, when the media chooses to mention the race of a criminal or a suspect, the only time they release a race is when it's a white guy. So that is now a fourth piece of information leading to the exoneration of President Trump in the impeachment trial. Thank you, Associated Press. Thank you very much, Microsoft News. And thank you very much, FBI, for putting this information out into the public's eye. Don't you find it funny, though, that the FBI is so eager to find this guy, but they're not that eager to look into Hunter Biden's laptop? To see all the shady dealings that Hunter and his father, mopey, dopey, little girl, gropey Joe Biden, has done in the Ukraine, in Russia, in China, and now, with the stroke of a pen, Joe Biden, a man who just last year said that no president should be just signing executive orders willy-nilly because that is the work of a dictator, well, that same gropey Joe Biden has now signed over 40 executive orders, just like a dick, Tater. But I guess it's okay when you have a D behind your name, Democrat Gropey Joe. And we believe that we'll soon be able to confirm the purchase of an additional 100 billion doses for each of the two FDA-authorized vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna. That's 100... 100 billion, he said, with a B. He clearly said 100 billion doses each from Pfizer and Moderna. And I'll replay that for you. Just be able to confirm the purchase of an additional 100 billion doses for each of the two FDA-authorized vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna. That's 100 million more doses of Pfizer and 100 million more doses of Moderna. So he corrected himself. But he did say $100 billion because Gropey Joe does not do numbers very well. 200 million more doses than the federal government had previously secured. Not in hand yet, but ordered. Ordered. In other words, when Donald Trump 
ordered the initial doses of the COVID-19 vaccine to be put out, that's what those companies said they were capable of making at that time. So now Gropey Joe wants to increase the number ordered. We expect these additional 200 million doses to be delivered this summer. And when? some of it will come as early, begin to come in early summer, but by the mid, by the midsummer. The Wait, when? By the summer, by the early, by the mid, by the summer, by the summer, by the mid, by the mud? By, hey, that ought to be a rap song, Gropey Joe. This vaccine will be there. And the order, and, and, and that increases the total vaccine order in the United States by 50%. Order. From 400 million order to 600 million. Ordered. This is enough vaccine to fully vaccinate 300 Americans. So from 400 million to 600 million vaccines ordered, Gropey Joe says that will be enough to vaccinate 300 Americans. 300. I have 300 Facebook followers, and I don't think they would all line up to get 600 million doses of the vaccine. By end of the summer, the beginning of the fall. But we want to make, look, that's, I want to meet Pete. He wants to meet Pete. He wants to meet Pete. He, he's going to meet Pete. First he said 300 Americans, and then, in case you didn't understand him, he wants to meet Pete. I think he means repeat, but that's okay for stuttering, stammering, muttering, puttering, fluttering, mumbling, fumbling, stumbling, crumbling, gropey, dopey, little girl gropey Joe Biden. Let me meet Pete. It'll be enough to fully vaccinate 300 Americans to beat this pandemic. To meet this pandemic. He's a clown, y'all. He's an absolute clown, a joke. He's definitely not qualified, competent, or capable of running that office. But it's probably better that we leave him there than to put Camel Toe Harris in the big chair. And now to disappoint the vast majority of you out there who love Donald Trump and hate nasty Nancy Pelosi, there was a rumor running around in social media saying that if Donald Trump is acquitted by the Senate in his second impeachment trial, that nasty Nancy Pelosi was going to resign in anger. According to the fact-checking organizations on social media, unfortunately, that is a lie. A 27 January Facebook post from yesterday said, Pelosi says if impeachment fails, she will resign, dot, dot, dot. Our Father, who art in heaven, dot, dot, dot. The post had been shared more than 580 times as of yesterday evening. USA Today reached out to the user who posted that for comment, but has not gotten an answer yet. Ahead of the impeachment trial, some social media users are baselessly claiming that Pelosi vowed to resign if Trump is not convicted. Whether she vows to resign or not, she probably should. I mean, that makes her a two-time loser. She tried to impeach Donald Trump on fake, false, erroneous information related to the Ukraine meddling scandal, which turns out to have been actually performed by your president, gropey dopey Joe Biden. And now, with all of the mounting evidence from the FBI and other agencies, it is going to be proven 
that Donald Trump could not have possibly incited the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th because the wheels were already in motion by January 4th, with many of the plans already having been discussed in public forums by those who organized the violence at the Capitol. And then today's revelation that the pipe bombs that they found near the DNC and the RNC offices were also planted long before Donald Trump's so-called insurrection speech. Social media users have alleged that Pelosi said she would resign if Trump was re-elected in 2020. Those claims were also rated false by the USA Today. And after the election was, let's just say, questionably concluded, Nasty Nancy has remained as the Speaker of the House. Such a shame. I could only wish that she had indeed bowed out. This is the Truth Hurts Program. We'll be right back. Listening to Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program is the highlight of my day. I have oftentimes questioned why I called this program The Truth Hurts and not The Double Standard. And every day I am constantly reminded of why I probably should have. Remember when Obama left office and he went around and he discussed potential Democrat candidates for some sort of blue wave to the House of Representatives after he left office? Nobody criticized Obama for that. Nobody said, hey, Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama, you should just go build your stupid presidential library and keep the hell out of public business. Nope. They praised him in the liberal media, saying he was a progressive leader and a thought leader, and Barack Obama should be able to campaign for anyone he wishes. Now, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has drawn criticism from Democrat lawmakers because supposedly he had a meeting in Florida with Donald Trump in which they discussed Mr. Trump's backing of GOP candidates for the upcoming election cycle in 2022. McCarthy and Trump met yesterday and discussed continued support by Trump for Republicans as they look to flip the Senate and the House next year in 2022. McCarthy said in a statement after the meeting, a united conservative movement will strengthen the bonds of our citizens and uphold the freedoms our country was founded on. This meeting came just weeks after the Capitol riot that Trump did not incite. Although McCarthy and Trump did not always see eye to eye, especially in the waning days of Trump's first term, he said that he and Trump are united and ready to win in 2022. And then those two guys, well, they posed for a photograph which was released to the press after the meeting. The whole situation has pissed off a number of Democrats. I'm mad because you're speaking to Donald Trump. Representative Ilhan Omar, a person for whom I have zero respect, because I think she is a clown hiding behind her towel, said... I see begging the loser insurrectionists to help them not lose again in 2022 is the strategy the GOP is going with. Gee, why don't you let him? If it's such a loser strategy, Ilhan stupid Omar, let him do it. If you think that that's going to keep your ass in power, 
then why not let him do it? Democrat Catherine Clark of Massachusetts, she shared the image and wrote, Less than one month ago, America was attacked by violent, seditious mob. We lost three police officers. Dozens more are injured. Still, Kevin McCarthy's response is a photo op with a treasonous instigator. You are a dumb, moronic idiot. He is a former president of the United States of America. You're the same clowns who call me a racist if I dare speak ill of Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama. But yet you have the audacity to speak ill of the former president, Donald Trump? What a double standard. You are a piece of human garbage. But it doesn't stop there, boys and girls. Bill Pascrell Jr., a Democrat from New Jersey, wrote yesterday, in case you had any question of the GOP changing course, the leader of the Republican Party is at Mar-a-Lago today, polishing Trump's shoes and lavishing him with North Korea-style praise. Well, that's about racist as hell. I wish every Asian American in this country would write a nasty letter to Bill Pascrell Jr., Democrat representative from New Jersey. How dare you invoke Asian stereotypes upon Kevin McCarthy, who doesn't even remotely look Asian? Representative Don Baer, like the aspirin, Democrat of Virginia, highlighted McCarthy's previous criticism of Trump alongside the photo of the pair standing together. A previous statement from Trump's Save America PAC had said the pair had a very good and cordial meeting and said the work has already started on a united effort to have Republicans flip the House and the Senate. Oh, Every time they try to flip the House and the Senate their way, it's seen as progressiveness and good-natured. Now, following the events of January 6th, Donald Trump was impeached for a second time, and the Democrats are pushing forward with his Senate impeachment trial, even though he's gone, and even though they don't have the votes, and even though mounting evidence, more and more and more of it for a fact, is showing that he could not have been guilty of inciting anything with his speech on Capitol Hill as their charge claims, because as I said at the beginning of the program, there is now more evidence to prove that the violence that happened at the Capitol was prearranged, pre-planned, premeditated, and could not have been the result of a speech that Donald Trump gave two days later. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Now, many of you might remember that sleepy, creepy, touchy-feely, mopey, dopey, little girl, gropey Joe Biden campaigned and made you all feel as if the day after he was elected, the Wuhan China novel coronavirus of 2019, better known as the Kung Fu China flu, was magically going to go better because gropey Joe was now your president. He can't use that excuse. He can't blame Donald Trump for the virus anymore. Donald Trump is out of office. Donald Trump did many, many good things to help that virus not be the multiple billions of Americans killer that the Democrats lied to you about and told you it would be. In fact, 
It is solely because of Operation Warp Speed and the White House Coronavirus Task Force under Donald Trump and Mike Pence that the numbers were so extremely, extremely low in general. But we all know that those numbers were falsely downplayed in New York, where Governor Cuomo sentenced hundreds of elderly people to their deaths by demanding and ordering COVID-19 positive patients to be sent directly to elder care facilities, nursing homes, and other places where no one had the virus before. Now they're backpedaling, of course, and trying to still shift the blame to Donald Trump. It's the most ridiculous thing I've seen in politics. And unfortunately, 50% of Americans will believe their lies and believe their BS. Chief judge on the federal court in Washington scorched Capitol riot suspects during a hearing on Thursday, according to CNN calling their actions an assault on American democracy and ruling that a man who had bragged about putting his feet on a desk in Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office should stay in jail as he awaits trial. Double standard? You betcha. Remember, with all of these so-called racial justice people running around saying that 13% hyphenated Blafrican-American minorities who commit rape, murder, and other heinous crimes but can't afford bail should just simply be let out to walk the streets and commit more crimes until the day of their trial? These same people are now saying, especially this judge, this clown, says that the man whose only crime that I can see is being in an office that he didn't have permission to be in? There's no proof that this man broke into the Capitol. He may have been one of the dozens of people simply let in by the Capitol Police. I don't think there's a sign on Nasty Nancy's door that says, Nasty Nancy Pelosi only, all others keep out. The man walked into her office, propped his feet up on the desk, and probably caught some nasty, heinous disease because that's the same chair that Nasty Nancy's ass was on. Chief Judge Beryl Howell of the D.C. District Court said during an hour-long hearing on the Capitol riot defendant Richard Barnett on Thursday, quote, This was not a peaceful protest. Hundreds of people came to Washington, D.C. to disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. Howell's remarks are some of the first from a federal district judge over the more than 150 criminal cases that resulted from that siege. And in case you care, and I don't, Judge Beryl Howell is a she-male, a fee-she, a her-she, she-her, supposedly a female with a vagina. I don't care. But the fact is there's a double standard being applied here. These same liberal, Democrat-supported judges, on one hand, out of one side of their mouth, say that the minority poor criminals out there committing actual dangerous crimes murder, rape, drug abuse, drug dealing, carjacking, assault and battery, looting, arson, name it. Those people can't afford to get out of jail. So we're going to let them go without setting bail. 
But this man, who sat in a chair and put a foot up on a desk and took a selfie, is to be held without bail because he is a danger to society? How did this judge get her job? How is she qualified to judge people when she is obviously biased? I thought judges were supposed to be impartial. That, that lady with the scales of justice in the blindfold, remember? Her decision on Mr. Barnett marks the first ruling in an appeal from the Justice Department after a magistrate judge out of Washington denied its request to keep a different Capitol riot suspect in jail. At least four others are awaiting rulings from district judges in Washington after their appeals. Ms. Howell made clear that she believes the crowd was trying to thwart the federal legislative branch from carrying out its duties. Thwart? Thwart? She said, We're still living here in Washington, D.C. with the consequences of the violence that this defendant has alleged to have participated in. So she's going to presume he's guilty and keep him in jail? That's not fair, Judge. She said, Just outside this courthouse are visible reminders of the January 6th riot and assault on the Capitol, noting that she can still see National Guard troops from the window in her chambers in the courthouse. Away, away. <laughs> I can still see troops. I don't like guns. Away. Barnett is charged with entering the restricted grounds of the Capitol, violent entry, and disorderly conduct, and for theft of public property after he allegedly took a letter from Pelosi's office. The judge says at the hearing, the titles of those offenses don't even properly capture the scope of what Mr. Barnett is accused of doing here. She's already passed judgment on this guy. She is a biased, very biased individual and should recuse herself immediately. According to the CNN article, the judge noted that Barnett had bragged to a reporter that he had written a nasty note, put his feet up on her desk, and scratched his balls in Pelosi's office. Barnett's lawyer said he hadn't seen a report of that quote from his client in the Washington Post. Mr. Barnett's attorney, Anthony Ciano, argued that his clients shouldn't continue to be held in detention. Barnett, speaking up on a conference line during the hearing, said, I have some very honest and simple explanations. I am a good man. He has not been arraigned, and he's not entered a plea. They're just holding him there to rot, because that's what liberal, biased judges tend to do. Now, prosecutors allege Barnett carried a stun gun to the Capitol after buying it days before in preparation for the pro-Trump rally on January 6th. After the rally, law enforcement searched his house and found a receipt for a stun gun, but they said they couldn't find a stun gun that he supposedly had during the raid. Barnett said, you're not going to be able to find it. He turned himself into law enforcement after the riot, though he had made an appointment to do so a day before being in touch with authorities. According to the CNN article, there's yet another piece of evidence to prove that Donald Trump's speech did not incite the violence at the Capitol. They just keep piling it on, folks. Whoever Donald Trump gets to represent him, I hope this person is listening. I hope this person is taking all of the information from this program, The Truth Hurts with Steve Z, into account. 
as you defend former President Donald Trump against false allegations of inciting violence at the Capitol. Let me just add this to the defense policy. If this man, Mr. Barnett, did plan days ahead of the rally to do something violent, then how, pray tell, could Donald Trump's speech have incited the riot days later on January 6th? You see, if the man days before the riot had already planned to do something, Trump could not possibly have any guilt by simply giving a speech of unity and support and gratitude. According to CNN, Barnett has a history of brandishing weapons at rallies and scaring passersby. Boo! Boogie, 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 boogie. The facts about Barnett altogether make this court very concerned that he poses a danger to the community, Judge Howell said. He's shown entitlement and disregard for the law and a total disregard for the U.S. Constitution, is what this Judge Beryl Howell had to say. She, of course is an idiot. And this, of course, is the Truth Hurts program. We'll be back in a minute. Steve Zee and the Truth Hurts program. So when your mind is gone and you're so senile that you can barely read a teleprompter without tripping over your own words, and of course, the big mistake Biden made when he said that they were going to order 600 million more doses of the COVID-19 Kung Flu vaccine to put in the arms of 300 Americans, the media ignored it. After all, he's entitled to make some mistakes, right? He's new to the job, right? 47 years in politics, a racist, a panderer, a groper of little girls, a criminal, as far as I'm concerned, one who used and abused his office as vice president in the Ukraine to have a prosecutor who was investigating his own son's illegal and unethical dealings investigated to have that prosecutor fired or he was going to withhold a billion dollars of United States taxpayer aid to the Ukraine. He admitted it. He bragged about it and the media ignored it. And then this week, Less than a year after he stood up and said that Trump was doing dictator-like activities by signing executive orders, which was exactly what his predecessor, Barack Hussein Obama, did, executive order after executive order after executive order, Joe Biden went on an executive order shopping spree with his little skill-craft U.S. government-authorized pens. Biden signed over 40 executive orders in the first nine days, I believe it was, or the first two weeks of his presidency. But according to NBC News, Biden is poised to wind down executive actions next week so that he can focus on COVID relief. From Washington, an article written by Carol Lee, Kristen Welker, Jeff Bennett, Mike Memoli, Rebecca Shabad, and Abigail Williams, and Daray Gregorian. Well, this is just a tag team of reporters all throwing words down on paper like gumbo and hoping it tastes good. All of those people contributed to an article that says, President Joe Biden is planning to wind down his initial burst of executive actions by the middle of next week 
and shift his focus to getting key parts of his legislative agenda passed, with the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package as the top priority, according to three administration officials. Biden has been quietly reaching out to Republicans about the relief bill, which he wants to pass with bipartisan support, and may soon begin holding in-person meetings at the White House between naps, according to one official. At the same time, the president has been choosing his words carefully. No, he hasn't. He's been screwing them up every time he opens his mouth. When weighing in on the upcoming impeachment trial of former President Donald J. Trump. Biden said a Senate trial needs to take place, but he's held back on disclosing his views on whether or not Trump should be convicted, despite a willingness to sharply criticize Mr. Trump without hesitation in the past. Explaining Biden's reticence to make known his opinion on how he thinks the Senate should vote, one administration official who refuses to be named said what he's trying to do is pass legislation. Officials said their concern is that a full-throated backing of impeachment would poison Biden's hopes of bipartisanship and make it harder for some Republicans to vote in favor of anything Gropey Joe proposes. So Biden's keeping his cards close to his vest when it comes to discussing his outreach to Republicans. Officials have said Biden is holding calls with Republicans, but he doesn't want the White House to disclose them out of concern that he might be counterproductive to getting his China flu legislation passed. The president is assessing where various Republicans stand on the relief bill and a possible subsequent bill, an official said. In other words, you think he's taxing you now. Just wait. There's more. Utterly ridiculous, people. Open the damned country. People will go to businesses. They will spend money. Businesses will collect taxes. Taxes will go to the stupid government. The stupid government will spend it on useless programs, and there will be no need for a coronavirus Wuhan China stimulus bill. Open the damned country, and people will go back to work, and they won't need a COVID relief package. Or are you too stupid to understand that, Mr. President. According to an article in The Hill, Kimberly Whaley, an opinion contributor, wrote, On January 26th, the federal judge in Texas issued a temporary restraining order barring the Biden administration from executing a 100-day pause on the removal of illegal aliens. She wrote it as undocumented immigrants. But they're illegal aliens. Where? 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 Steve called them illegal aliens. Oh, Steve Z, you're a racist, bigoted, xenophobic, homophobe who hates anyone who isn't white and privileged. Bullshit. They're illegal aliens. As a matter of fact, this seems odd according to this piece written by Kimberly Whaley. She writes, think about it. The court held that President Biden must continue to deport people immediately because the state of Texas would be irreparably harmed if he held off 100 days in order to get his bearings as a new president. How would Texas be harmed, she asks. 
Well, she's obviously stupid if she can't figure it out. More and more and more illegal aliens, undocumented immigrants, trespassers to U.S. soil will further dilute the workforce, forcing many legal Texas residents, both Hispanic and otherwise, to have to work harder to find jobs amid, you know, the supply and demand thing. The more people you have looking for jobs, the less they have to pay. Yeah, that. The court reasoned, according to this opinion editorial piece, the court reasoned that Texas pays millions of dollars annually to provide state benefits to illegal aliens. Plus, Texas has increased educational costs. If these folks remain in the country for 100 extra days, Biden's temporary freeze on deportations would encourage illegal immigration to continue, thereby exacerbating its public service costs. As for harms to the would-be deportees and their families, the court was persuaded that the public interest is served by execution of removal orders. Well, duh. Get them the hell out of here. They are here illegally. They do not belong here. But that doesn't seem to matter to liberals. The only laws that liberals expect people to follow are the laws that they expect Republicans to follow. They don't want to follow them themselves. They want to make excuses for criminals. They always come to the aid and comfort of criminals. And that's okay for them. Keep in mind, this article continues, that a newer revised government policy routinely increases costs to either one party or another. Compliance with a rule requiring new safety standards in a widget factory, for example, will cost the widget factory owners money. In some cases, parties are able to halt implementation of a government policy pending litigation through a preliminary injunction, but that type of relief is very rare. If fiscal harm were enough to secure temporary restraining orders in the majority of cases challenging government action, judges would likely be running the executive branch. Newsflash. They pretty much have been. Legislating from the bench and declaring executive orders of Donald Trump unconstitutional every chance they got. You're damn skippy they were running it from the legislative and judicial branches. The separation of powers was grossly and illegally blurred during the Trump administration, with many judges overstepping their judicial authority and tending to legislate from the bench. A lawsuit was filed by Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who had just a few weeks prior asked the Supreme Court to cancel millions of votes that were cast illegally in Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. According to the writer of this article, that was a bid to deprive people of their choice for president. In my opinion, and the opinion of 74 million-plus Americans, it should have been done because many of those votes were illegal at worst and questionable at best. As the recent Virginia court ruled, those improperly postmarked and non-postmarked ballots that magically appeared in the middle of the night by the magic vote ferry in Virginia, just enough to push Biden over the top? Well, now those votes have been considered illegal, but it's too late to do anything about it.
Mr. Paxton has relied on a procedural statute known as the Administrative Procedure Act, or APA, which requires executive branch agencies to jump through certain hoops when they make the rules, generally known as regulations, which have the force of law. The post-New Deal statute dates back from 1946. It's aimed at cabining agencies' power, particularly when they take steps to pass laws that function as acts of Congress, when they're really not. It also contains standards which judges may review various type of agencies' actions. Standard applied in this case is generally considered quite differential to the agency. The standard applied was arbitrary and capricious review, according to this writer. The court was persuaded that Paxton is likely to win under the APA, justifying the temporary restraining order. Now, Biden's moratorium on deportations was done through a memorandum issued by DHS and not by executive order, but the Supreme Court's rejection of arguments against travel bans, for example, was sweeping in deference to the president's power of exclusion of aliens, a power that's not expressed in the Constitution but is inherent under Article II powers. The judge in the Paxton case, Drew Tipton, was appointed to the federal bench by Donald Trump in 2020 and was confirmed in the Senate by a majority of senators. And the article goes on to wah, wah, wah some more. This woman, Kimberly Whaley, is a professor at the University of Baltimore School of Law, and she authored a book called How to Read the Constitution and Why, and What You Need to Know About Voting and Why. Both very leftist-leaning, let-anybody-in, let-anybody-vote type books, tending to sway people towards the liberal, progressive side of life. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. Now, I told you early on, even last year before Gropey Joe was the consensus nominee for the Democrat National Committee, as he searched for an opportunity to worm his way into the White House for the third attempt. Remember, the first two times Joe Biden ran for the presidency, he was thrown out in the Democrat primaries because of his rampant plagiarism and his racist tendencies. But they seem to have washed all that aside now, and you'll never hear of it again because the liberal media is running the show. According to an article, though, the Associated Press says, AP fact check. Biden is using fuzzy math on a million new auto jobs. Is the media already sick of this clown? Are they already starting to turn their back so that they can install Camel Toe Harris into the presidency? It sure looks that way. According to this AP article out of Detroit, casting his climate policy as a jobs plan, President Joe Biden left out important context and used fuzzy math when he announced sweeping new Green Deal initiatives that he says will boost the U.S. economy and create a million new automotive jobs. That's what he said. The job claim is actually far from certain, if not unlikely, according to this article. A look at Biden's statements at his signing of executive orders Wednesday that will replace the U.S. government's fleet of roughly 650,000 vehicles with electric models and encourage a broader national shift to electric cars. Biden said, 
Today is climate change at the White House, which means today is jobs day at the White House. We see these workers build new buildings, install 500,000 new electric vehicle charging stations across the country, and modernize our highway system. Adaptive changes have already taken place. We're going to harness purchasing power of the federal government to buy clean zero emission vehicles that are made and sourced by union workers right here in America. This will mean one million new jobs in the American automobile industry. One million! I'll translate that for you. Biden said today is climate day at the White House, which means that today is jobs day at the White House. We see these workers building new buildings, installing 500,000 new electric vehicle charging stations across the country as we modernize our highway systems to adapt to the changes that have already taken place. We're going to harness the purchasing power of the federal government to buy clean zero emission vehicles that are made and sourced by union workers right here in America. And that will mean one million new jobs in the American automobile industry. One million. Now, according to the AP, it says the facts. There's plenty of skepticism about this claim. At least some of the new auto-related jobs would come at the expense of current auto-related jobs. Auto industry analysts, you know, the people who analyze the auto industry, they don't see how a net gain of one million jobs in that sector could possibly come from Biden's plan. One million new jobs in the auto industry is a highly ambitious goal that would mean more than doubling the number of workers now employed in motor vehicle and parts manufacturing. In other words, the AP knows it's bullshit. Many analysts and the United Auto Workers Union, in fact, have warned that electric vehicle manufacturing will probably mean fewer net automaking jobs. If more Americans drive electric vehicles, then it stands to reason that fewer will drive gas-powered vehicles. And because electric vehicles generally have 30 to 40 percent fewer parts and are supposedly simpler to build with robots, fewer workers will be needed to assemble them with robots. That will require a reshuffling of jobs as workers who once made engines, transmissions, and other components for gas-powered cars will have to switch to electric motors and batteries, which they have no formal training on and will probably just get laid off. Sam Abulsamid, principal analyst for Guidehouse Insights, says, because they're simpler, you're probably going to have far fewer people working in vehicle manufacturing than you do have today. He noted that it's far easier to automate manufacturing of battery cells and battery packs, which would reduce job levels even further. More than 100,000 U.S. workers are engaged in building internal combustion engines alone. Mr. Abul Samid added that creating a million new jobs will be difficult in future years because U.S. new vehicle sales are projected to be flat around pre-pandemic levels for the next decade. If nothing changed, you're not going to have a whole lot more employment, he said. The White House, of course, did not immediately respond to a request for comment when they were asked for a breakdown of the new one million auto jobs that shows an accounting for lost jobs? Well, of course not. They throw numbers around, and you've heard how Joe Biden throws numbers around for crying out loud, and the White House will simply kick that can down the road. 
because Jen Psaki, the new White House press secretary, is as useless as you know what on a boar hog. A shift from one job sector to another does not necessarily mean that workers will be easily able to jump to the new Green Deal jobs in a new Biden economy. Part of Biden's campaign promise, you might recall, has been to promote economic equity, such as bringing fuller opportunity for people without college degrees. In the short run, though, those workers may be hurt the most by initial job layoffs. The move towards electric vehicles is happening, even though fully electric vehicles account for less than 2% of new vehicle sales in the United States. General Motors, pandering to their unions and their gropey Joe ties, announced the goal of making most of its vehicles all electric by 2035, which is, ironically, the same year California plans to ban sales of any gasoline-powered vehicles. Listen to Red Barchetta by Rush. The Motor Law. Yes, it's coming, folks. Currently, automakers pay workers who assemble batteries far less than they pay those who manufacture vehicles. And much of the battery work is done by other companies that pay even less than what members of the UAW union make at vehicle assembly plants. So not only are we going to lose jobs in the automotive industry, we're going to see significant pay cuts. Here's the bottom line, people. Biden wants economic equity. He wants income equality. Now, he's not looking to raise anything but the minimum wage, but he's now looking to tear down high-paying union jobs and make those people earn less and less and less money. It's sort of an extension of Barack Hussein Obama's spreading the wealth around. Only he's not just after multi-bazillionaire CEOs and hedge fund managers. No, they're being protected. Biden's plan is going to take your $70 an hour job working in a car plant and make you now make batteries for $15 an hour, or maybe 20 if you're a good boy. Biden's campaign said additional jobs will include those building and installing a half a million new charging stations and for construction workers who will have to retool factories to build electric cars. Many electrical vehicle components are now made in China. Part of Biden's plan is supposedly to build a U.S. supply chain, which might create a few additional factory jobs, according to their campaign. Anybody who tells you it's all positive for jobs, you can say one thing or another. There's no guarantees. This is the Truth Hurts Program. Steve Z and the Truth Hurts Program. We haven't heard from Focahontas in a while. Elizabeth Warren, the Democrat senator from Massachusetts, who claimed she was an Indian. Feather, not dot. And she isn't. After a grimace and an eye roll, it was crystal clear where Elizabeth Warren was headed on Thursday when she was challenged on her support for a new wealth tax. Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat, is proposing an annual two-cent tax on every dollar over a $50 million of a family's net worth. Not their net income, their net worth. And billionaires will have to pay a 6% tax on every dollar of worth 
above a billion. That's how they spread the wealth around. An exasperated Warren responded when CNBC host Sarah Eisen raised the argument. Warren said, There's no evidence that anyone is going to leave this country because of a two-cent wealth tax. Hey, Elizabeth Warren, it's not a two-cent wealth tax. It's a two-percent wealth tax and 6% on billionaires. You might recall last week someone won the Powerball or the Mega Millions jackpot, which was just over $1 billion. Under Elizabeth Warren's plan, she's going to reach in and grab $60 million out of that $1 billion. She's going to just take it and use it to give away and spread the wealth around. And that's just the wealth tax. That's not the income tax that he will also be paying the normal income tax on that $1 billion that he won. Or a company owner who has worked from nothing and built his business to where he finally has a net worth of a billion dollars, including his buildings and his whatevers. She says there's no evidence that anyone is going to leave this country because of a two-cent wealth tax. Hey, stupid hauntus, there's no evidence that people won't leave this country. She says several nations have higher tax rates in addition to wealth taxes, so it's not clear where they would go. How about a counter-argument that's based on fact, she snapped at the reporter. They're starting to eat their own, as I said before. The wealthiest in this country are paying less in taxes than everyone else. Well, maybe that's your opinion, Ms. Warren. She said, asking them to step up and pay a little more, and you're telling me that they would forfeit their American citizenship? I'm just calling your bluff on that. And then Warren added, can we just keep in mind right now in America who's paying taxes? She noted the bottom 99%, but she's wrong. It's the middle 80% that are paying the taxes. The bottom of the bottom are paying 0% and $0. She claims that the 99% of the bottom of Americans pay 7% of their total wealth in taxes. But the top one-tenth of 1% 1 paid only 3.2% of their total wealth in taxes. She says... If they added a two-cent wealth tax, they'd still be paying less than most of the people in this entire nation. She's full of shit. I know no billionaire who's paying $60 million in taxes that is actually paying more than a guy making 100000 who's paying about 29000 or so in taxes. Big difference. Big difference, Focahontas. Fakeahontas. She says... All I'm saying is, can we just have a little fairness here? Someone has to keep paying to keep this nation going. And right now, what the wealthiest people in this country have said is, let's let everyone else pay for it. Because what they want to do is not only keep their wealth, they want to keep building their wealth faster than everyone else. You're a millionaire, Elizabeth. Will you put your money where your mouth is? Remember, it is people in Congress who wrote the tax laws that allow some wealthy people to reinvest their hard-earned money into their businesses, which keep little people 
employed and keep little people working and supporting their little families and keep those little people paying taxes. The rich, according to this article, often pay lower tax rates than regular wage earners because much of their income comes from investments that are taxed at a lower rate than wages are. And top margin tax rates are significantly lower now than they were in the period from 1917 to 1986 when Reagan slashed those rates and ushered in one of the very best economies our nation has ever seen. Donald Trump slashed taxes again and our nation flourished for the first three plus years of his presidency. But idiots like Democrats and Elizabeth Warren haven't figured that out yet. They see glaring example after glaring example after glaring example of how cutting taxes benefits everyone. But in their greed and in their desire to keep people voting Democrat, they just keep throwing out breadcrumbs to the poor, to the minorities. And then they turn around and blame the evil Republicans. You know, those who create jobs, those who make it possible for the little people to work. Trump and his conservative allies in the Republican Party slashed corporate taxes by 40%, from 35% down to 21%. And that allowed business owners to invest more money back into their businesses and hire the massive number of people that were hired during Trump's first three-plus years in office. And those people paid taxes on their earnings. But clowns like Focahontas Warren point to the fact that in addition to benefiting everyone in America, the 1% at the top of our nation's economy benefited as well. And we don't want them to benefit at all. And the more and more $1.9 trillion so-called stimulus packages at taxpayers' expense keep getting rammed through Congress and through executive actions by people like Elizabeth Warren and mopey-dopey little girl gropey Joe Biden, the farther and farther our U.S. Treasury has to dig that hole of debt. A $1.9 trillion hole in the U.S. Treasury that will be added tomorrow if the so-called stimulus package goes through will drag America deeper and deeper into debt well past 2028. But people like Elizabeth Warren keep looking at the camera and lying to you and lying to the television reporters who happen to have the stones enough to ask her the critical questions. That's going to wrap up this afternoon's edition of the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. We apologize if you're offended by anything we say, but we retract nothing. We'll see you next time. Go out there and have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. If you don't like what you hear, just stop listening. This program is protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. If our opinion or content offends you, we apologize, but we retract nothing. We do not own the rights to any pre-recorded audio presented during this episode. 
Those rights remain the intellectual property of the originators. This program is copyright 2021, The Truth Hurts Network. Background music courtesy of Jason Shaw and Audionautics. This program was produced in cooperation with Studio 63 and Steve Knight Productions. We'll see you next time.